I'm super excited to welcome you uh, as you connect with our worship gathering and the message for this week. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, next weekend, I'm starting a brand new series called Unshakable. And the focus of that series is what do you and I need to have uh, built into our lives in order to be unshakable as we go through difficult times. So listen, spread the word to your family and your friends, and I look forward to seeing you next weekend. Now, this weekend, I have a treat. I have invited one of my all-time favorite people and preachers uh, and, and, and pastors to be the guest speaker for us today. If you've been around uh, and heard me teach over the years, you've heard me talk about uh, my years as pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston, 17 and a half years. Well, I get to introduce you guys to the one who succeeded me and is now taking that church to even greater heights, Reverend Liz Walker. She's been a senior pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church for nearly 10 years and she's going to be our speaker today. Let me just tell you a couple of things. One, uh, she's done phenomenal work uh, with the Corey Johnson uh, Trauma Project, which has been born out of her leadership, leading that church. It's now being replicated across the city and the country. The work that we started around the Dearborn STEM Academy when I was pastoring, she took it and completed that work and took it to the next level. But long before she was the pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church, uh, for 21 years, she was Boston's first African-American television news anchor. And towards the end of her career, she earned two Emmys and an Edward R. Murrow Award for Excellence in her field. She's a graduate of Harvard Divinity School. And during the early 2000s, she did incredible work in the war-torn country of Sudan, working with young uh, girls who've experienced all kinds of atrocities. And out of that was born two organizations. One is My Sister Keeper, and the other one is Sisterhood for Peace Initiative. So get ready and buckle your seatbelt. In the meantime, this will be a fabulous time for you to share our worship gathering, both on Facebook or the link to our website. And uh, let's get ready to hear uh, the word of the Lord come to us uh, from Pastor Liz as she teaches three things I know for sure. Our text today is from Deuteronomy, the 29th chapter, the 29th verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. It is such an honor for me to bring a word to you at New Beginnings Community Church because your pastor, Herman Hamilton, who is the former pastor here at Roxbury Presbyterian Church, is my special friend and my very special mentor. He has guided me and counseled me through a great deal of my religious life. And I was thrilled when he asked me to preach. You know, mentors are important and, and I have always been drawn to them. Two of my uh, really special mentors passed this year. I did not know them personally. I never even met them, but I considered them my spiritual, my social mentors. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and John Lewis are two names and two uh, people who are legends, who I really always listened to and always followed. Their contributions and influence on the world will last for a long time. And, and particularly John Lewis, uh, when he died this summer, I was so moved that he had written an essay in the last hours of his life to be read after his death. 
And in this essay, he's passing the torch of the civil rights movement to this new generation of activists and, and perhaps to all Americans. And what he writes is, he says, together you can redeem the soul of this nation, answer the highest calling of your heart, and stand up for what you truly believe. That was a powerful message to me. I was a child of the civil rights movement, so I followed him. I loved uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she was a woman's rights activist. Both of them, though, spoke to me on answering God's call to the world. And so when I thought about John Lewis's last words, I was particularly moved. Uh, and that's what we have in this text. Last words carry gravitas. These are the last words of Moses standing on the east bank of the Jordan River, looking over to Canaan. He's speaking to a new generation of, of God's people who are on the verge of a promised land. Deuteronomy, of course, is actually a series of sermons. And just as we witnessed weeks of, of, of words from Ruth Bader Ginsburg after her death and weeks of goodbyes for Congressman Lewis, we know that Moses' farewell took a long time as he prepared for his death. He was very thoughtful in what he wanted to leave to his people. So Deuteronomy is this kind of renewal of, of God's covenant with his people. And in that spirit, I've been meditating on what we would say in the context of leaving something powerful behind, what my last words would be. And I'm in no way implying that we are on the verge of death. I do not feel that way. But we are living in times that should make us all consider the things that are important to us, what we want to pass on to the next generation, what we want to leave our children. And so I wanted to talk to you for just a few minutes about three things I know for sure. In times like these, when everything seems ambiguous, everything is shaky, we're not sure about anything, there is a need to hold on to things you are sure of. What things are you most sure of? Now Moses, we know Moses had a lot to say. He was sure of many things. He's been leading these people for 40 years. There have been struggles, there have been pitfalls, but he's saying, I'm, I'm not gonna be there with you. You're about to move into the promised land, but here's what you need to know. You're gonna be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the country, the fruit of your womb will be blessed and your crops will be blessed as long as you obey God. And if you don't obey, You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the country, and everything you do will be cursed. The lessons that Moses leaves are clear. God has been good to you, so follow him. Do what he says and you'll be all right. But then he says, and this is really the part that just touches me. He says, I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. I'm going to ascribe greatness to his God. God is good, but... The secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. So what he's saying here is that God is great. God has done wonderful things, but we don't know everything about God. The secret things God's going to keep to himself. He's going to tell us what we need to know. There's some things we're not going to know about God we don't need to know. There is enough that he will tell us for us 
to move ahead. And this really gripped my spirit. Just because of what I said, we are living in a time when there is so much we don't know. We don't know much about this pandemic, no matter how many great minds are on it. We don't know a lot about it. Now, we have learned a great deal, but there is still so much we don't know. One day you hear that the virus is over. The next day you hear the virus is growing. Now it's popping up again. One day you hear it's only killing the poor and the old people. Then you hear that it's killing everybody. It, 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 it's just incredible how much we don't know. And for those of us who love the Lord, we've been questioning, what, what exactly is God doing? Now everybody, including your pastor, tells me, don't, you don't question God. But we know that deep down inside, we're all wondering, God, what you doing? What, what does this mean? What, what could this lesson mean to us? But the Bible assures us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and neither are our ways God's ways. Sometimes we as Christians forget that uh, we don't need to focus on what we don't know. <laughs> that there is mystery to God. And I have been so in awe of the mystery. I don't think we talk about that mystery enough. That, that one of our best things to do, one of our most important things to do, is to praise the greatness of God. But you don't have to know everything to do that. Sometimes in our faith, there is an arrogance in thinking that we have absolutely every T crossed, every I dotted. We know everything that we need to know. There is mystery to the majesty of God. And our best response to mystery is to bow down in reverence. If it wasn't a mystery, it wouldn't be God. There's a great deal about our journey that we simply don't know. That's why it's called faith. You step out in the darkness anyway. Faith is not about having every answer. Faith bows to the mystery of God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us belong to us and our children forever. Go with what you know and leave the rest to God. Go with what you know and leave the rest to God. God in his majesty, in his mystery, in his awesomeness, in his omnipotence, omniscience. God who is the first and the last. God who is our provider and protector. God will take care of the situation. Moses said there will be things that will happen that will baffle you and you will not be able to work them out. They e even may pull you down in despair sometimes and hopelessness where you say, well, this is not making sense. I don't know how to deal with this. But here's what Moses says, because we love the Lord, we can trust God to keep his promises. God has given us enough through his word to carry us through. So here are the three things that I know for sure. I want to share them with you and hope that maybe they will inspire you to think of the things that you know. I could preach a, a, a three-day sermon on all I've learned about God, and I could preach a three-month so sermon on all the questions I've got for him, 
but here are three things I know for sure. God intervenes. God intervenes. Now that, that's a question that on one level is the ultimate question we have about the divine. Does God intervene into human affairs? Does God come into the physical world? This is a question that science grapples with. I don't know if you know of Francis Collins. He's a scientist and he's a Christian. He's the head of the National Institutes of Health. And Dr. Uh, Collins speaks about this one. And he says because he's a scientist, he's skeptical about miracles. And of course, miracles are how we, divine, uh, how we uh, define God's intervention in so many ways. And, and, and Collins says he, God's intervention would break the law of nature. So he would only announce a miracle if he could rule out every other possible explanation. And that makes sense. That's how a scientist would have to approach it. But that's not the hat that I have to wear. I know that God intervenes in human affairs because that's how I explain my call to ministry. I was a television journalist in Boston. I had been there for something like 25 years when I ended up going on a story to South Sudan. I was there to follow some Bostonians, including some, some ministers, who were looking into slavery. And that trip in the year 2001 changed my life. I had never been in a war zone. I had never seen such human deprivation. I had never seen people who were holding on despite no reason to hold on. And some people that I know who are ministers told me that that trip was the way God was speaking to me. All I knew was that I could not come back and be the same journalist I was when I went. And so, Pastor Hamilton and some others defined that as, as my call into ministry. I went into divinity school at Harvard. I changed my life. I ended up becoming a pastor in a, in a, or a, a, on the pastoral staff anyway in, a, in an African Methodist Episcopal church. And that's how I ended up here at Roxbury Presbyterian Church. But I am sure that that was God's call. There is no other way to explain it. I ended up working in South Sudan with my one, another one of my sheroes and heroes in ministry, Reverend Dr. Gloria White Hammond, for 11 years. We ended up working with young women who were traumatized from decades of war, young women who had been raped and brutalized. We ended up building a girls' school and helping a community find its own path to education. But that trip to Sudan, that initial trip to Sudan, would never have happened had it not been for my hearing God's call. You see, I believe that God intervenes and calls us all. The trouble is never in the transmission, it's always in the reception. But when your heart is open and conditions are right, you hear God's call. That's how Abraham moved, that's how Moses moved, that's how Mary moved. That's how I move. God intervenes. God intervenes because God loves this world. This world belongs to God. And so our responsibility is to answer when God calls. I am sure that God intervenes. Call it a miracle. Just call it a day-to-day -day calling. Call it what you will. God intervenes. The second thing that I am sure of is prayer 
matters. The Bible says pray unceasingly. Now this I know because I have, I have watched things and I have watched life. I grew up during the civil rights movement in the South. When I was probably about six years old, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King came to a church in my hometown of Little Rock, Arkansas. My father took me to hear him. And I saw ordinary people, my mother, my mother's friends who were beauticians and teachers and people who worked for the railroad and people who were maids were called to do extraordinary things because Dr. King told us this was God's call. But we had to pray that we were on the right way. Now, I was only six, and honestly, I didn't, don't remember his specific sermon, but I know that that was a, a movement that came out of the church. It was a movement that came out of prayer. So you see, prayer works to me, not just in, in, in individual ways, and certainly it does there, but I have seen prayer move a country. I've seen that through Dr. Martin Luther King. There was a march that I heard about, and I was not there. It was called the Prayer Pilgrimage Demonstration. It was the first of its kind, and it was done at the Lincoln Memorial in 1957. Now, most people don't remember this march. There were about 30,000 people that showed up, and it marked the anniversary, the third anniversary, of the 1954 Supreme Court ruling on Brown versus the Board of Education. It was televised, and it was Dr. King's first sermon before a national audience. The speech was called, Give Us the Ballot. But mainly the people went to Washington, D.C. to pray. The organizers of this prayer rally was, were very disappointed because they said the crowds weren't big enough and people didn't pay enough attention. But here's what that prayer rally did. It set the stage for the future mass demonstrations, including the Montgomery to Selma March, the 1963 March on Washington, and it led ultimately to the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. You see, prayer worked on a huge level then. That was my childhood. I got to watch that and see that and listen to people talk about that. The songs of that movement were prayers. The way people uh, activated other people was really through prayers. The movement's secret weapon was prayer because prayer motivated and inspired people. They didn't think they were just working for each other. They were working because God called them to work. God intervened and they knew to communicate with God was to pray. Prayer speaks of our deepest longings and our greatest possibilities. Prayer is social action as far as I'm concerned. Prayer changes people and prayer changes things. I don't have to figure out how prayer works. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that said that prayer, they were finding out new research, scientific research, that prayer calms our nerves and prayer kind of gets into that whole fight and flight response and, and, and is, it you know, stops us from being distracted. I don't have to know all that. All I know is that prayer works. I saw it work as a child when I watched the movement get started. 
I know it has delivered me out of my darkness. I know it has moved this church, and I know it has moved yours. Prayer works. It is God's way of letting us have the privilege of connection with God. And together we become co-authors in building God's kingdom. The Bible says pray unceasingly. I know for sure that that is true. I read this story yesterday about a bird called a swift. I don't know if you've heard about the swift. It's a tiny bird that's common to Europe, always in flight. Researchers have have put these sensors on these little birds and and since they started tracking them, and they found out that these birds, the swift birds, spend 10 months in continual flight. I mean, they don't land. That's all they do is fly. They do what God calls them to do. And so when I think about praying unceasingly, I think that's what God calls us to do. And until you do that, you may not know prayer works. This bird, the swift, does what God calls him to do. We have to do it too. The third thing I know for sure, and this will be my last point to leave with you, is that love wins in the end. Love wins in the end, no matter what. We are living through perhaps one of the most divisive and polarizing political eras of all time. Maybe there were others, but I don't know about them. Everybody's screaming. Nobody gets along. Everybody's taking the other person to task. I think social media has just been uh, become this kind of pathway for your anger and rage. And the church itself seems more divided than ever. But when it looks like we can't agree on anything, here's what I know. Love will win. Love won when Jesus was hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Love won on that resurrection morning when he rose and told us to preach the gospel and live it in every way we could. Love won when Dr. King said, I may not get there with you, but you will get there. Love won when they sang, we shall overcome at the fall of the Berlin Wall and the standoff of Tiananmen Square and in Beirut and North Korea and South Africa. And love will win now because God is in charge. God is love, love is mercy, and love is justice. John Lewis's essay to this next generation ended with these words. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say that it was your generation who laid down the heavy burdens of hate at last and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. That is my invitation to you today, that you will think about God's promise of love. This is a God who intervenes, this is a God who allows us to communicate, and this is the God whose love will ultimately win. As each of you reflect on the things that you know for sure, remember my three things. Love will win in the end, and because it does, 
we can have hope that will get us through these difficult times. These are the things I know for sure. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Liz, for that just amazing, amazing, amazing message. And uh, the question, guys, is how are we going to respond to it? Is there at least one next step we're willing to take right now? So in the Facebook chat and also on our website, as well as in our app, there's a connection card that's popping up and it's available to you right now. I want you to look at some next step options, including perhaps saying yes to Jesus as a Jesus follower, or maybe you just simply want some more information. In addition, there is a section called message response, and I want to really direct your attention there. Uh, Pastor Liz has shaped a, a challenge for all of us in the message response. Here it is. Identify one promise from God that you're going to hold on to. If you're willing to accept that challenge, just simply check yes. And then I want you to really wrestle with this reflection question. So take out your camera and take a picture of it. And uh, we're going to leave it up a few moments after this segment is over. Here's the reflection question. In the midst of these chaotic times, what's one or two things you are most sure of regarding God? Now, this would be a fabulous time if you want to be notified whenever we go live, push the notification bell that's on the screen right now and make sure you push all.